0: This is an ABC podcast. You're listening to Culture Compass on ABC Radio Australia.
1: This is the music of Kiripas. It's the sound of Ansika Moya's childhood.
2: Well, in the old days, they used this—the um, island sort of ukulele and the guitars, that, not the electric one. Like they have a string, yeah, and tied uh, to a stick, and they're down to the to another box down below, and then they sort of
1: yeah. <laughs> I know the one. <laughs> we, call it, like, we call it the bass. Right.
2: <laughs> yeah, love songs, old stories from from island to island, like uh, funeral songs and just songs for the kids when they first came on the canoe, and they do all those songs.
1: If there's a full moon in Samoa, you might hear the sound of a guitar wafting over the waves as people sing in the moonlight all taking harmonies in the songs we grew up with. Or at the other end of town, you'll hear the heavy bass coming out of the nightclubs, blasting Savage or Scribe. Whatever the genre, there's joy. There's the hard times, the old times, the changing times, all captured in song by Pacific Island musicians. I'm Seyuli Salama Sina Von Reichi, and this is Culture Compass, the show about survival, revival and connection throughout the Pacific. Although every island has its own unique chants and rhythms, we're tied together by our traditions. Important stories are captured in song and passed down as the younger generations listen and learn. But it's not restricted to what you might call traditional music. Wherever we are in the world, we're folding in those musical influences. The result is Pacifica rock and roll, hip hop, R&B, any genre, you name it. So what makes music Pacific music? Are there common threads that tie artists together? And how do we make sure those stories continue to be heard? Antika Moya is a Kiripas woman and one of her first jobs out of school was as a radio announcer in the capital, Tarawa. She would play all kinds of music on air, from the ceremonial songs in her language to the big hits from faraway places like
2: Nashville, Tennessee. It's a sort of a seasonal thing, like when a new song comes in and then it becomes popular and it's always on the radio and on the uh, everybody. Whenever you go, all the houses are singing this song and it's been played on and on, like music from... Dolly Parton, that was during then, and the Eagles and um,
1: <laughs> Kenny
2: Rogers.
1: Can you please tell me a bit yeah. about where you grew up?
2: I grew up in, um, on South Tarawa, known as the capital of Kiribati. But my first job out of school was being a radio announcer and then a radio production.
1: As we're talking about music, and music in the Pacific especially,
2: what role did music play in your upbringing? My music and my upbringing is very important and broad and significant senses. And it also can be elaborated into three different groups from primary school, like when I learned music in primary school and secondary school. I appreciate all the singing and all that that uh, we did in school. Secondly, when i at church, like I, I'm a church member of the Kiribati United Church, which is Protestant Church. And this is where we sing in the, the hymns and songs and all those popular music. And lastly, singing with friends at parties is a common tradition in our islands, that's in the islands.
1: How would you describe the traditional music of
2: Kiripas? The first one that's currently that we usually have is the katake, that's we call katake. It's a, a song mainly sung by the old people elderly people, women and men. And then all the others are church. And then there are birthday parties for first birthday, 21st birthday, where they have all these songs. We also have like funeral songs that are done after the the funeral and anniversary songs for Maniaba, like meeting. We have a meeting house called the Maniaba. So that's where they, they have all these songs done. They also have songs for the traditional maniapas. Maneapa is a meeting place for all old women and that, that's a traditional gathering place, meeting place.
1: That's lovely. I can almost hear the music now. Are there different songs for different
2: islands of the Kiripas? It's different from the north and the, the south. They have their own sort of style and how they do it. Because we use guitars in traditional, in the before we have these guitars and ukulele where they sort of have it done. And now like they're using all these electric modern music and they do it on the radio and all that.
1: So when you're at gatherings, you can tell straight away, as soon as they start singing, you know which part they come from.
2: So they do it the way their own style in like the Northern, it's different than the South. So they do it their own ways. It's sort of with a rhythm, like you have it with funerals, like it's a bit of a sad, sad event. So when they sing it, it goes up being sad. And then when it's um doing birthdays, you're happy. So they, they present it in the way the occasion is.
1: I remember when I was little learning how to sing. When we we're singing a happy song and the class is singing in a sad way, we, we get told off. You sing in a happy way, you're not singing at a funeral. <laughs> What kind of instruments do you use in Kiripa's music?
2: Well, in the old days, like I say, they use this, um, the, like the island sort of ukulele and the guitars, the, not the electric one. But that's what they use during those days. Like they have a string yeah. and uh, tied to a stick, and they're down to, the, to another box down below and then they sort of...
1: Yeah, <laughs> I know the one. <laughs> because like we call it the bass, <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> you they make it yeah.
1: themselves
2: like the sort of a drum, like a, a big tin, and then they use it as um doing it on drums to sort of widen the base of the the music.
1: What kinds of stories are told in the Kiripas songs?
2: Love songs, that's most of it. usually that's how it goes. And uh, old stories from, like ancestor ancestors from island to island. That's the old songs that they used to have, and then like uh, funeral songs, and just songs for the kids and how they did their, like when they first came on the canoe and they do all those songs. But I think nowadays we hardly hear those songs anymore the radio and all the songs are in the new system with all the new guitars and all the new whatever it's new now. But hopefully I think with the um the archives they do have these stored away. And I think it's a good thing we have this back and sort of have a program done for this.
1: Well that's good. You know, at least you you've still got your language sung in those songs. Yeah. It's still sung in your own language. How did colonization impact the practicing of Kiribati music and ceremonial songs?
2: Well, during the colonial days and the Christianity religion came to Kiribati, they modernized local music for education and Christian worship. In some cases, like some words, is, some words were bit forbid, forbidden because of religion, and they weren't allowed to sort of carry on. And uh, Taken out from the the songs, like if they're rude and not enough, then they these were taken out from the songs.
1: But do you think do you think the words that were taken out
2: during that time have they been brought back in? Some of them are brought back. Some are still taken away. Yeah, because during recording, as I know, recording songs, there's a, a technician or somebody that's there for producing the the song before being sort of edited, then they edit all these out.
1: Are there people that are able to pass these songs down to the next generations?
2: There will be people if we find them because there's always people there that you can ask and they can always pass it down.
1: Do you find the younger ones uh, interested in learning about the stories of their elders?
2: There's a lot that that are keen and there's a lot that are not doing assignment for the kids that they're now doing it. There's a lot that are doing history, and I know they're doing all this. And uh, I remember that I was helping out one guy from Germany a few months back, like uh, helping him out on old songs and translating each word by word and where these songs were from. And I think he's doing this kind of, um, he comes into Kittivest about every now and then, but I used. To, I am helping him out each time he comes in.
1: That's wonderful, mm-hmm. and you're helping to keep a record of you know of your your style of music as well by by doing that. Yeah, and
2: that listening to the mix and then sort of translating back, uh, translating it, and then how it sort of interviews on it. So I just try and help out because I think it's a good thing to have all these old. Traditional ways and songs to be stored, not to get lost and fade away. But it really touched my heart. It, it, it's really because it's, it's a sort of a things that you don't hear. It's so different with what the music nowadays. But the music that I was doing for him was about 40 to 50, 50 years back. So just about most of them, they were new to me but there were still some that I can still remember. Charles
1: Mai uses music to preserve the customs and languages of his home in the Solomon Islands. And there's a particular instrument that's really important to the songs of his village. They're called panpipes.
3: And if you want to improvise, you can do anything. So this pipe, it has a different length. Inside it's just air unless there's a wind to make the sound. So when you breathe, you you inhale and then you exhale if you have a uh, pen pipe in front of the inhaling, you will get a sound. If you're going to play another instrument with this uh, panpipe, uh, your brain will switch to the guitar. And you can also sing. It will be a different uh, story if we have different instruments like uh, trumpets or piano other instruments that other people use. But so, uh, because I grew up in a place that has panpipes, uh, I learned and fall in love with that type of music, I think.
1: That's yeah. wonderful. Can you explain to me why they're so significant?
3: Most of the people who created panpipes, they are my great-great-grandfathers and some of the best singers. They are from my bloodline. This is a fact. There's a guy in the 17th, 1979, he came to are, are and documented some of the traditional penpipes, which pulls out my bloodlines. They are on my mum's side. Charles, can you please tell me a bit about where you grew up? My mum's side is on the east, eastern side of Malaita, East Are Are. Uh, I stayed there for about six years uh, before I came to my father's Village, which is a big issue. Yeah, but when I was little, I spent it on my mama's uh, side where they have traditional uh, music, like a pen pipe, uh, a lot of uh, traditional pen pipes. I used to hear them when I was little. I've fallen in love with music when I was little. It's not just uh, the traditional music, but if I hear radio and music on radio, Sometimes I used to dance sometimes. I just fell in love with music. Also because my mom, she's a very religious Catholic woman and she used to take me to the, to the church every morning. I also mind when the people in the church singing, but my mom is the loudest. I remember I asked her once, mom, why do you sing so loud? then she was laughing at me, and then she said, why did you ask that question? And I said, well, I think if God has a listening impairment, I think you better sing loud because uh, maybe God is not hearing you, that's why. And she was laughing. She is a singer, too. She sings.
1: That's so lovely to hear you uh, describe that. What kind of stories are told through songs from your village? And The stories could be a lullaby, a love story. It could be the surroundings, like
3: the birds, certain birds. So Because there are certain things that can't speak English or other languages. And these are whales in the ocean, uh, birds that fly in the air. And for them uh, to be heard... Yeah. It comes through beating the drums, or it comes through the panpipes the sound that they created. We humans uh, take responsibility to, to share the voices from things that are, uh, can't speak. So it is our responsibility. If they are going to, uh, extinct, it is our responsibility to be their voices. And some of those voices came through instruments like these pen pipes. Or through things that people play. If you ask anyone in also the society that I came from in we always have clans. It has a a totem. It could be animal, it could be bird, it could be whales, it could be dolphin. Like if you have a t- totem, uh, and your totem is uh, turtle, that clan is prohibited. Uh, for many, many, many generations, not to eat that species, that turtle.
1: How, how important is it to you to sing in your own language? When it comes to my language, because I
3: need some words that are really deep. One word that can mean 10 different things. And then when I was growing up, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, older people, they died with these words. And there are few people who know those words. They didn't know that there's something in them that's, that is closing, and that is their knowledge a thousand year old knowledge that came through musical instruments or came through the social fabric of power. And when that's broken, it's very dangerous. If we don't have a, a social fabric that connects with people.
1: Thank you, thank you so much. Lefao Ali'i Dr. Dion Enari is a lecturer at Auckland University of Technology. He holds a PhD in Fasamoa, or Samoan culture. He sees representation as the key to Pacific music. It's about recording the world around you in song.
0: Music has played an integral role as it, um, transcends barriers of communication beyond the written and beyond just the, the normal spoken word. So we've used music to really convey the richness of our message in times of happiness and sadness and sorrow and times of political struggle. As Samoans, we have a song for everything. <laughs> and so, yeah, um, and so that's why um, music is, is so dear to me as a Samoan and is so dear to our people as a collective.
1: My Lord, how do you think that has changed over time?
0: I, I believe in terms of uh, Samoan people, the music is always a reflection of their lived experience and the current reality that they're living. So it's changed over time with the realities of time so once upon a time you know a lot of our people had lived in the motherland and so then a lot of the songs composed were about their life in the village and their relationship to the land the seas and the skies and and working in 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 the village setting as we're now there are more simons that reside overseas so we're now starting to see a growth uh, in terms of the different styles of music and so now a lot of the music, particularly from the diaspora, uh, speaks on issues of living as a Samoan on Aboriginal land and the issues of working a nine-to-five job and, and having Western education and all the rest of that awesome stuff.
1: <laughs> what do you think are some of the main influences on contemporary Samoan music?
0: Some of the influences I would say is some of the old pioneers, so like the Five Stars and Bunyala Va. If you look at the music now, particularly in the Samoan language, a lot of their songs are remakes of original songs that we heard growing up. You know, putting the techno spin in it, putting the R and B beats in it. So yeah, to me, they're some of the main influences in, in Samoan music. And I would also have to say as well. The Samoan orators and how the Samoan orators speak. A lot of those metaphors are somewhat still used and translated into English today in the songs that are composed, which I think is really beautiful. Yeah,
1: we've seen lots of Pacifica artists have success in hip hop and rap. Why do you think that is?
0: Yeah, that's a really that's a really awesome question. Uh, I think Pacifica have gravitated more towards rap because they see a similarity with the African-American people and African-American culture. And so they've gravitated towards um, hip-hop and rap and then they've then put their own Pacific flavor and their own Pacific spin to it. Yeah, And a lot of the the hype, a lot of the energy and a lot of the African-American beats share similarity with our hype and our energy when we sing.
1: How do you think our music changes depending on where it's written? Say, if a Samoan person is writing music in Apia versus Logan here in Australia, what differences are you going to hear?
0: Because it's a difference in lived reality, and it's a difference in lived experience. That's what mm-hmm. you know you'll get. So then, the, uh, I'm a lot of the ones that come out of Samoa talking about, you know the love story of an Aapia meeting at the um, seawalls <laughs> in Samoa, where a lot of people congregate and a lot of people in Samoa can relate and it's reflective of the re- lived reality there. Then when you come over and you listen to music, say, um Jewel Rap and Logan, and they make references to the Woodridge train station or Woodridge High School, that's a reflection of our lived reality as many Samoans come from and have congregated in those areas. Yeah, So then... It's storytelling done in a different context yeah, and reflective of the context that it came from.
1: Do you think there are similarities or common threads that tie it all together?
0: The common themes that I see between music composed in Samoa and Samoan diasporic music, whether it's produced in Carson, California, West Valley, Salt Lake, Utah, Honolulu, Hawaii, Auckland, New Zealand... Uh, Mount Jewett, Sydney, or Logan, Brisbane, is a lot of the music speaks about being proud of your Samoan culture and your Samoan identity. And it also speaks a lot about holding on to your language and and honoring your parents and ancestors. To me, that is the main common thread. If you bring a lot of the lyrics of a lot of these songs both produced on island and in Diaspora, that's a common thread you'll find, which... I think is awesome and beautiful, and I think it's what binds us together as Samoan people internationally, irrespective of where we're living.
1: Well well said. (laughs) Well said. Why do you think it's important for Pacifica artists to hear their stories represented in modern music?
0: Um, My short answer to that would be so they know they belong. Yeah, Our stories are worth it. Our music is worth it. We belong. We need... To hear our own voices and hear our own stories, not only amongst ourselves, but we need to share it in the mainstream society. So then they get to know who we are from our mouth and our, you know, this this also feeds into um, representation. You know, so when we're producing our own music and telling our own stories through our music, we have the authority to tell it the way we want to tell it, as opposed to you know some of the negative. Our representations that we've been accustomed to in the media. Um, yes, I I really believe, to me, it's an important tool to help invigorate and provide a sense of belonging and empower um, our next generation in youth. And I also believe it's an important tool to bridge those connections amongst non-Pacific people.
1: I can now understand my teenagers (laughs) and the music that they sit me through in the car.
0: (laughs) And, you know, the other thing is, and I hope they listen to your music as well, so then they can understand you as well. You know, it's a reciprocal two-way thing. It's interesting. I remember, and I've had these conversations with my aunties and uncles and my grandparents, and I'll say, you know, when I was a little kid, I hated listening to your old Samoan music. I wasn't really interested in it, but as I've gotten older and as I have a better understanding of the Samoan language, I now see the beauty of it. And by me knowing and growing an appreciation for the older Samoan music, I now understand why my parents and my grandparents are the way they are. (laughs) And I also want to um, give voice to a massive movement that's happening now in terms of there is now a big Samoan renaissance to go back in my generation, the younger generation, to then go back to sing what can be quoted as traditional psalm in terms of you just gar the fala yeah. and sing in, in similar harmonies that our ancestors sang. So there's a yeah. big resurgence of that occurring, particularly in New Zealand. I had just seen a production a few weeks ago in New Zealand where they brought the sound of how my grandma, my great-grandmother used to sing in the next gen. So, yeah, I find it so fascinating and so um, interesting that, you know, there's these, the modern output of music in terms of Lucy and 1-4 and these and Savage and, you know, they have the R&B influence. But there's now a big renaissance amongst the younger generation to explore what Samoan music was like in our grandparents and our grandparents' generation. And I think all of it's beautiful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it was. And I,
1: I've seen... um the kids at the Polyfest, yeah. they're starting to try and bring it back. But it's its lovely. Yeah. It's its wonderful to see it, yeah. But you have that deeper appreciation of this when your elders pass on.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. It's speaking to me now more than ever with all the experiences that I've had and going back to Samoa and living there. And um, particularly now that my great-grandparents and grandparents have passed, it means a lot more to hear it from the next generation singing like that and and producing music like that it hits (laughs) it hits more once once you hear it once they're gone and once you've gone older yeah so this renaissance then it reminds you of them and then it makes you feel like they're still here that's what really hits for me when i see that yeah
1: the songs I grew up with makes my heart sing. It's like a calling card. Our music is totally unique yet recognizable around the world and there will always be more stories to tell. So I don't see anyone turning the volume down on us anytime soon. This is Culture Compass on ABC Radio Australia. Culture Compass is hosted by me, Sayuli Zalamasina Von Raiki. Our ABC Radio Australia executive producer is Falanafulu Ingo Stunsna. From Deadset Studios, our producer is Grace Pashley, and our executive producer is Rachel Fountain. This episode was produced on the lands of the Torabul, Jagera, and Durambul people. We pay our respects to elders past and present.